Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. We are looking at the first half of the book of Kings. Originally, Kings was one book. They've divided it into two, and we can be thankful for that, that we only go through 22 chapters this week, all right, in our Wednesday Bible study. But First Kings is a time that takes about 120 to 150 years in Israel's history. The book begins with the death of David as king, and it ends with the death of Ahab. Um, One Bible scholar says that during this time of the book of 1 Kings, the nation passes from affluence and influence to poverty and paralysis, and how quickly a nation can go from that. We often don't realize the mercy that we've enjoyed in our land that that our country has lasted this long. But in, in about 120 years, it went from the, the pinnacle of David and Solomon to the, the disaster that you'll read about. And um, the decline from, from what God did in a great and mighty way to what God did to bring the ruin of it. And one of the key factors in 1 Kings is Solomon. 1 Kings goes from the kings being the primary vehicle of God to being transferred to prophets of God being the proper primary vehicle of God. And Solomon was the one that was the pivotal one that that took it from the kings being the prominent um, figurehead, so to speak, in Israel, to then the prophets, which will go on in our study, and and we'll be looking at many of the prophets of God as we go through um, the books of the Old Testament. But Solomon is a key figure. And this morning we'd like to look at Solomon in some degree. Notice verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, 
And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked in them, then I will lengthen your days. So here we find Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, the second son of David and Bathsheba. And um, he comes to the throne and as we read, God said, what do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine if God showed up to you personally and said to you, what is it you ask and I will give it to you? What would it be that you would ask? Now think of Solomon is is the king and... Um, he has this opportunity. And God was very, very impressed with his response. I mean, you look at his response. It showed he had a grasp of history and the hand of God in history. He said, God, you have dealt bountifully with my father, David. Your mercy has been abundant on him. And have given him the throne. And now you have given that to his son, to me. And Solomon began with great humility. He said, I am but a child. I don't know what I'm doing here. I need you to give me a discerning mind that I may judge right and wrong. Give me an understanding mind. 
And God said, I'm going to give you that. You didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for fame. I'm going to give you, you your request. And, and God did. And he, and he added other things on top of it. The, the riches and honor. But you notice the beginning of Solomon. Solomon loved God. I mean, in verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Now, Solomon loved God. God tells us that in his word. And God blessed Solomon. And not only did he give him wisdom and riches and honor, in in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 29, it says, God blessed Solomon with largeness of heart. There was a, a generous spirit that was given to Solomon. In, in every area of his life, he was blessed. But Solomon allowed himself to have a divided heart. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. This is the dividing part of the book of 1 Kings. We're not going to go into all the details of Solomon's reign. But Solomon began with a humble spirit. He began with a heart that loved God. But 1 Kings 11, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Solomon allowed through choices he made and through desires that he had. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, it tells us. And he allowed his heart to go away from God. We know that in Matthew chapter 22, He said, the first and great command is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind, for this is the first and great commandment. That's the command in the New Testament. But that same command was given in Deuteronomy chapter 4, that he gave to the children of Israel. You shall seek the Lord and you shall find him if you seek him with all your heart. 
There is a universal principle that God has that God not only desires but requires for our good that we love him and serve him with all our heart. He reiterates it over and over throughout Scripture. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he will cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Psalm 119 and verse 2, he says, Blessed are those who seek me with their whole heart. Solomon's problem in his life came when he allowed his heart to be divided. He loved God, but he also loved things that God told him not to love. It is easy for us, given the same command that Solomon's given, that we are to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. It's easy for us to justify giving God 80% or 60%. And, and we don't even go into thinking about the percents. We just know that we're loving other things more than we're loving God. And as Solomon allowed himself to have a divided heart, we are reminded in James 4 and verse 4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. He says, love not the world in 1 John 2 and verse 15, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Solomon allowed his heart to love the world. To love the things that are in the world. And Solomon lost what he lived for. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Solomon's kingdom was divided. The things that he chased after. You can read the book of Ecclesiastes. We recently did a study of Ecclesiastes. All these things that he loved other than God, he said, all is vanity. Notice Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We're not taking the time to look at the whole passage, but Jesus is teaching, if you are living for this life, you will lose it. But if you give up this life to live for God, you will find life. Solomon loved God, but he allowed his heart to be divided. He lived for this life And he lost it. To the point that he came back and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and said, I've tried this 
and it didn't satisfy, and I've tried sex and money and fame and possessions and you name it, anything that could be tried in life. And he said, it is all empty. The thing that he was seeking, life, he lost, and he then comes down and turned to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon gives us the conclusion of the matter. Although in his life he lived with the divided heart, and the divided heart was his own demise, and that's why God says, I don't, I, I don't tolerate a divided heart, because it will always defeat you. So he comes down and he says, verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. So Solomon sought for life, and he lost it, and he concluded, what's the whole duty of man? Fear God and keep his commandments. A divided heart led to a divided kingdom, which led to devastating failure in Solomon's life. So we ask, okay, how do I avoid a divided heart? Number one, you must give your heart wholly to God. I mean, it's a, it's a full surrender to God. And it's kind of mind blowing, but it's a reality for every one of us. We struggle with doing this. But why would we struggle? And and yet we do. I mean, no one ever cared for us like Jesus. He is perfect in all his ways. He's never made a mistake. But we struggle with surrendering to him because we are born with rebel arms. We're born with a rebellious spirit. We want to control our own life. We want to be our own boss. We want to call the shots. And we will have a divided heart until we come and say, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Used to sing a familiar song, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I I don't know all the outworkings of God in in the details of surrender to God. But I know in my life, there was a time that I called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and I know that He forgave my sins. And this is the the first step to having an undivided heart. But I also know that a number of years after that, there came a time in my life that following a, a Sunday morning service 
that I can't even tell you today what that morning service was about. But I knew God's Spirit was at work in my heart. And I went back to my dorm room and fell on my face and said, God, I'm tired of fighting it. Whatever you want. We will, never, we will never even have the potential of living with an undivided heart until we come to the point and we sign a piece of paper at the bottom and say, God, whatever you fill in at the top, as long as you're filling it in, I'm good with that. George Mueller said the hardest part of knowing God's will is first getting to the point that we have no will of our own. And to have an undivided heart, we must give our heart fully to Him. And Jesus stands at the door and knocks, Revelation 3.20 tells us. And He said, I want to come in and I want to be the master of your life. I will sit down and sup with you. So the first step is to give your heart totally to God. Secondly, plan on a battle. Once you submit, it doesn't end. It is a battle. It is a war. We often don't think of it in spiritual terms that that we are in a civil war. There is a battle going on within us and around us. And we need to think as warfare. And Satan, you submit to God and you say, God, I, I want your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I want your will. Satan doesn't lick his wounds and walk away and say, well, I lost one there. Our old flesh is alive and well, and it says we may have lost that one, but we're going we're gonna to get back on the throne in this life. And it is a battle. And Solomon loved God and, and had a heart that asked the right things, but he lost the battle in his life, and his heart went after other things. You need to plan on the fact that it is a battle Thirdly, daily delight in the Lord. Now, that, of course, means being in the Word of God, but it's not just being in the Word of God. It's knowing the Word of God, knowing the nature of God. You read the Word to know God. And when you know God... It's not a hard thing to submit to Him because you get to know His heart. And you understand His wisdom and you understand His character. And, and even in the dark days you understand this is, this is not anything impossible for God. So you, you have your heart that I want to know God. And when you know God, you can't do anything but delight in Him. Because everything about him is good. But then as you live your life, you, you delight in God. I mean, I, I love this last week, the snow melting and the cricks were running full 
and the cricks in Iowa were actually babbling. You know, they were making noise like they do out in the mountains. And we walked down by Sugar Creek, which is normally a meandering little thing, and the water's rushing down there. And I, I stopped and I said, thank, I delighted in God. I mean, where did all this water go? Floor Avenue and the Missouri and Mississippi. But this is amazing. And do you understand everywhere around you are things that could make you delight in God that help bring your heart back to God? I mean, here this grass is buried under this weight of snow and some of it's already turning green. Do you just delight in spring or do you delight in God? There's a big difference. Do you delight in his blessings or do you delight in God? Solomon failed to realize that all his blessings in life came from God and he started delighting in the blessings rather than in God. Number four, pray for discernment. We are so easily deceived. And number five, diligently deal with sin. Don't minimize, well, that was a little thing, that, that's not a big thing, and, you know, there's other things, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Diligently say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way within me. Listen, when we have a divided heart, it will end in desperate failure. A divided heart is devastating. So very quickly, what are some lessons we can learn from Solomon? Good starts don't guarantee a good finish. Solomon started out good, but he didn't finish well. Number two, success is a dangerous test. It's not so dangerous that we should avoid it. We should desire to be successful for the glory of God. But our nature is so weak and so prone to do the wrong thing that we are very, very vulnerable when we have success. When life is good and easy, we are vulnerable to think that we don't need God. We don't actually say, I don't need God. We, we would give the mental assent, I need God. But we don't have this dependence on God that I am but a child God. There are many times I picture myself as a little child, and I've said this before, as a little child reaching his hands up for dad or mom, help me, help me. And many times when we have success, we think we've got this figured out. I know the, I know the formula for this. <clears throat> Solomon had great success, but he forgot what brought the success. Number three, we learn evil companions corrupt good morals. We read, Solomon took to him 
wives from all these people's group that God said no. And 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us that evil companions corrupt good morals. Now, it's not just companions, although it is physically, but it's who I spend my time with on the Internet, who I spend my time with through all the avenues of social media, who I spend my time with reading, all of those things, evil companions, corrupt good morals. Number four, if we haven't learned this already, no one is above falling. David, a man after God's own heart, fell. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, fell. Samson, the strongest man that ever lived, fell. And let him, 1 Corinthians says, and let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. If you've ever said, I would never do that, you are deceived. There is, there is no limit to what we would do. And, and it ought to motivate us to say, God, I need you. Apart from you, I will fall. And throughout the book of Kings, as you're finishing up reading through it, Notice this, a government or a life that leaves God out is doomed to failure. And we'll find throughout kings, raised up kings, and they went in the way of their father, a wicked man, and they were doomed to failure. We'll read about lives that were doomed to failure. And if a person excludes God from his or her life, no matter how that person may live, he or she will fall from God's perspective. We can't resist God's authority and not suffer the consequences. People only break themselves by refusing to submit to the authority of God. And understanding my own heart, I would say the overwhelming, maybe 100% of us here today, have divided hearts in some way. This is something we always have to battle. And we need to say, God, I want with my whole heart, show me where my heart is loving other things besides you or other people or other philosophies. A divided heart leads to devastating failure. That's God's law. And the first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Our heart's cry ought to be, God, 
show me where my heart is divided. And if you have never gone before God and said, God, you have given me life, you have designed me as a believer. If you've never gone before him and said, I just want to give you full control of my life. Do whatever it is. And and many of you, you've had those things. Oh boy, if I do that, he'll do this, he'll do this. this. We don't know God. Whatever he asks us to do, he'll give us the power to do it. We don't know the heart of God. And to some, today, you need to, you need to just lay it before God and say, God, here it is. Some, you've done that, but you've lost in the battle and you need to come back and say, no, God, we're putting you back on the throne of my heart. To some, you've never, ever got him in your life. He can't be on the throne if he's not in your life. You've never opened your heart and submitted and said, I know I am a rebel against you and I desperately need your forgiveness only possible through Jesus Christ. And I call upon him for the forgiveness of my sins. Is God the master of your life? Or is your heart divided? Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would pierce our hearts to help us to see our hearts as you do. Lord, my heart is deceitful. I am easily deceived, and Lord, I pray in my heart that you would help me to see where my heart is divided. And Lord, I pray that for every one of us here. I pray for individuals that are here as believers, but they have never submitted and said, God, it's not about me, it's not my will. I surrender to you. Lord, what joy there is in full surrender. May we know that joy. And Lord, if there are individuals here today that do not know you, I pray today they would know the joy of laying down their rebel arms and submitting to Jesus Christ for salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.